0: Welcome to This is Type 1, real life type 1 diabetes with your hosts Colleen and Jesse. I'm Colleen Mitchell and I've had type 1 diabetes for over 24 years. By day, I'm a process analyst in the power industry and by night I'm a writer, podcast host, and accountability coach. I'm passionate about type 1 diabetes education and showing others that this disease doesn't define
1: me. I'm Jesse Tuggy and I've had type 1 diabetes for about 8 years now. I love hiking and painting and I'm looking forward to working as an engineer after college. My diagnosis has inspired me to take control of my future and learn everything I can about it. Each week on the show, we'll talk about real life with type 1 diabetes, bring on cool people with connections to type
0: 1, and above all, encourage you to understand that this disease doesn't have to hold you back. This isn't medical advice. This is life with type 1. Welcome to episode 40 of This is Type 1, real life type 1 diabetes with your hosts, Colleen and Jesse. Today, we're talking with Doris Hobbs, known as the glamorous diabetic. She's a marketing expert who works with luxury brands and uses her platform, Rich in Love Fashion, to spread awareness about both types of diabetes. And a quick reminder for everybody, if you have any questions about type 1 diabetes or about the show, please leave us a comment or send an email to colleen at inspiredforward.com. We answer listener questions in future episodes. And I have the win of the week this week. So I got my last site down to six units before changing it. I always love running down my cartridge to basically empty because it means I'm not wasting a lot of insulin, and it also means I put the perfect amount of insulin in to begin with. Jesse, what's your fail this week?
1: My fail is that I had pizza this week, and unfortunately, I thought I put in enough carbs, but I had the pizza effect going on where you don't go up until about an hour or two later. So right before I went to bed, I checked my blood sugar like usual to calibrate my sensor because it hadn't been calibrated for like an hour or two, which was probably bad. And I calibrated, and my blood sugar is up in the 300. So unfortunately, that's my fail. So what's your hack, Colleen? The hack this week is to join a support group on Facebook
0: that's geared towards type 1 diabetics. You might have to join a few to find one that really works well for you that doesn't have a lot of really negative people posting all the time. But you can really find some awesome community and support, and even make new friends by joining Facebook groups and connecting with people. Now let's get into the episode with Doris Hobbs. All right. Hi, Doris. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. First off, give us the rundown of, of who you are
2: and the role that diabetes plays in your life. Well, that's a great question. I guess I would say that I'm a woman that I don't play by the rules. That is one thing that I really firmly believe. Like I always color outside of the lines because I really believe that well behaved women never make it in history. <laughs> so I have been dealing with diabetes for nearly five years. It's going to be going on the sixth in October which I call my D anniversary. And diabetes has become more of a lifestyle for me and how I basically have wanted to refashion and have people perceive the autoimmune disease differently. So what's the story
0: of your diagnosis? Did, <sighs> did you know anything about diabetes before then? Any family history?
2: Oh my God. Okay, pull up a seat. So my dad's been a diabetic since he was two years old. So can you only imagine you know, being born in it? That's all you know is being a diabetic. And then my sister and I, of course, we were always going back and forth, like, would we ever get it, you know? And so eventually my sister got it at 21. And the, the weird story about that is that my mom's sister, her name was Roberta and my sister's name is Roberta. My mom's sister, that would be our aunt, I never got to meet her because she became a diabetic and passed away at the age of 21. Well, my sister's name is Roberta and she got diabetes at 21. So, I was just like, when that happened, it was a major shakeup in our house where we were just like, whoa, like that is just like weird. Like, what is going on? And then everybody, of course, looked at me and they were just like, you're next. I'm like, nope, nope, I'm not next. That's not going to hit me because I was the healthy one. I was the one that was active and all that good stuff. So, I felt like I was exempt. I feel like it doesn't matter. It's in the family, doesn't matter. My sister got it at 21. I'm exempt. Well, I ran from it when things started happening in, what was it, 2014, things started happening and I saw my energy going down. I was fatigued and it was, that was the first warning sign being fatigued and having no energy for a, a type A personality that just doesn't work. So basically I went to the doctor and they said it was stress. And I was just like, I don't what stress I have, right? And I denied it. I went into straight denial mode. And they said we could do some blood work and check everything out and make sure everything's okay. I was like, no, no, it's okay. I'll I'll, I'll check back in six months. I'm fine. And I I it out of that doctor's office and I was, I was out. And then it just was a slow, slippery, you know, slope down from that where it just got worse. Each like side effect got worse for me from like being thirsty, being very fatigued, where I get out of the shower and that was it. That was my day. Like I didn't have no more energy, you know? And my vision went blurred. I started having nerve pain in my feet and my hands. It's just like frequent urination. I mean, you, you name it, I was having it all, but still in denial. Nope, nope, something else is wrong. It's not diabetes. And then it just came to a point where it basically almost took my life because I finally, like my numbers were just, had to been up in what, five, six, 700 for blood sugar because it was just like, I would go to bed and I would just be like, I don't know. I would just like, my value of my life was gone practically. It was just like my battery was going on E. And eventually I finally got blood work done early October. And that same night, you know, when the lab calls you the same night, that's not good. So they called me and they basically told me, it was like basically saying, you need to go into the ER. You need to go now. So there I go to the ER and then they're giving me my diagnosis. And they didn't know if it was type one or type two that night, but they just knew I was diabetic. And I was just like, well, excuse my language, but I was like, no, (laughs) it was like, okay, I know I am, but which one can I be two so I can reverse it? But it was just like, no. So then the next day I go in and of course they basically said, no, you're type one. And I'm like, all right, I guess that's what it is. And then when I woke up the next morning after having the final diagnosis and stuff, that was the enlightenment part for me where it was like, I'm laying in bed and you know your whole life has changed now. Like you're insulin dependent, You know the lifestyle you were having does not exist anymore. So I mean, I could have played the victim, why me, why me? But I decided not to. So I said, okay, here's my options. Number one, I could do the victim, why is me, play the violin and all that, crocodile tears. Or I could do number two, do something amazing with it and I don't know what the heck that's gonna be. So I laid there and I told God, I was like, all right, God, I know you didn't do this against me. I know you did this to set me up. So let's just go do it together. Let's just go figure it out. And so I, I came up with a saying that I trademark every setback is a setup for the glamour in life because of that defining moment. And ever since, I mean, I've been rocking and rolling with it. Never let it define me one day. So that is an amazing story. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah, just it's, it's crazy.
1: Well, that's that's incredible. I'm really glad that you got to have the opportunity to change like your spin on diabetes and diabetic life. That's really cool. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, so our next question is: What are some of your favorite and least favorite things about being type one diabetic?
2: Hmm. Favorite would be that it's pushed me to be relentless. It's challenged me to, you know, challenge me to be a person that doesn't, you know, just like we were previously talking about, fall prey to being a victim. And instead I can be the light. There's so many people that, you know, we need more people that are either like light workers or, you know, people that are positive because we, you know, we know what's going on in our current affairs right now. So it's just so much negativity. So, I mean, I love the fact that, you know, it's helped me condition my body and my mind differently and has allowed me to be much more disciplined and I can feel the efforts. I can really feel the effects and the effort of what I'm putting into it. And then the least I would have to say is I say this all the time about diabetes and this is how I describe it. It's like Instagram. It's a numbers game. It really is. It's like one day, you know, like, you know, Instagram, you get a whole bunch of followers, you lose a whole bunch of followers. It's a back and forth. You can never keep that same number. And I kind of feel like diabetes is the same way. It's just a big numbers game. And if you can, if you know how to play the game, then you're not going to feel, you know, you're not going to let it define you. So it's just like just like instagram it's like when you lose a couple followers and eh, whatever you get a couple great but you never let that be like you, your emotions never sway one way or another and that's the same thing with diabetes like i any advice i can give diabetics is when you see your number go high don't react to it just fix it and move on because when you start putting emotions into it that's when it's just it starts to consume and take you over
0: yeah that's that's a really good point when you make the blood sugar mean something
2: about you, that's when you've already lost. Oh, the game over, drop the mic, it's done. It's like, it's, it's over, yeah. So that's why I always say it's like Instagram. So you just cannot get excited about it. You just have to basically correct it with your insulin, go up, take a walk, whatever you have to do. If, if you're low, take a carb, like whatever. You just have to figure it out and like have an entrepreneur mindset and just have a solution, fix it and move on.
0: So everybody manages their diabetes differently. How do you manage yours? So, insulin <laughs> pump, CGM,
2: MDI, what do you do? Oh, well, let me ask you. I'm a vintage girl, I'm a classic traditional girl. What do you think I'm doing? Well, when you ask it like that, I think you're on a pen. <laughs> I just set you up, right? So, yeah. So, so, basically, okay, so the levels went from doing the, the old fashioned pricking the fingers, drawing the blood. That was like the beginning of it. And I got, you know, my fingers, of course, you know, didn't like it and stuff. But I mean, I was doing it that way and then doing the insulin pen. And then, then I was doing the syringe with the Lantus for night, right? So it was very traditional, old school, right? Then I recently, about, eh, about a year or so ago, went forward with doing the, um, what is it, the Abbott Freestyle Libre, uh, the sensor on your arm. So I've started doing that. That is the most technology I've done on myself because I'm against the pumps. I don't want to do any of the Dexcom, none of that. And you're probably going to ask why. Gonna right, ask I am going to ask right? why. Yeah. Why. Yep, yep. Okay. The reason is, I want to take this might be a control thing, but I want to take control and keep the discipline, because now doing research about diabetes, about what, how food breaks down, what, how the body's working inside, it's like, I am not going to abuse my body like I was before. You know what I'm saying? Because it's a fact like you know eating cookies or eating cereal or you know, drinking a soda way back in the day, that's abusing and putting toxins in your body. And basically now being a diabetic and having your pancreas not work you know what's good and what's not good. Like if you eat a veggie, you're fine. If you eat a cookie, you're not. So it kind of proves to us that if I eat that cookie, I know what's going to happen. So I better have my insulin ready because I know what's going to happen. It's going to taste good on my tongue for a few minutes, but then my body's going to say, mm, no, and it's going to jack up my blood sugar. So really, is it worth it? So that's how I look at it. So that's why I want the control over what I'm doing. So it's almost like a constant like coach. Like telling me, don't do it, don't do it, because you're going to feel the aftermath. Because the pump just makes it too easy. That's just my opinion.
0: So it sounds like you'd rather have the challenge of, oh yeah, all of that management by yourself rather than having the assistance from a pump. But you do have a yeah. CGM. That's good. I think that's good.
2: Well, yeah. It no, and I I do believe like the sensor has been amazing, and it really helps like when you go to the doctors and stuff, they can see your numbers. And then they were seeing for the longest time my blood sugars were dropping in the middle of the night down to like 30s and 40s and they were trying to figure that out. See that that's the technology that I am supportive on because with the other pricking the fingers, you don't know that, you don't know what's happening in the middle of the night cuz it's not tracking you. The pump is basically what I'm kind of like no and my doctor keeps on saying we're going to have to put you on the pump. I'm like no. It's no. No. It's not going to happen.
0: Well, as long as you know that for yourself and if that works best for you then
2: there's no problem. I just think the pump basically is more of a defining thing if i put that pump on it really shows that i am a diabetic in a way and it's like no i don't i, I don't want to face that because it's just in my mindset it's i'm not in denial that i'm not because obviously you know i am dealing with it but i feel like i'm always the the person with my head in the clouds where i feel like there are ways to fix things there are ways to cure things our body does want to cure itself so i'm just kind of like that pump is just like i'm not no and that's why I don't wear a bracelet either. I don't wear an ID bracelet for my medical either. Wow, that's, that's an interesting take on
1: pumps. I've never heard that side of it. So I've got two questions for you now. One, what would be your lowest blood sugar that you've ever seen? Because you mentioned that your blood sugars dropped to like 30s in the middle
2: of the night. I've never had one below 45. <laughs> well, I, what was the lowest? I think it was like 32, 36. And I was mopping the floor one day. Didn't even feel it. I did not feel it. It was the weirdest thing. I'm mopping the floor in the afternoon and it was that low. Didn't feel it. It wasn't until I finally said, you know, I'm feeling a little weird. It was like a little weird feeling, not like I was going to drop to the floor and pass out. It's like, I feel a little weird. Maybe I should go test my blood sugar. And this is when I was poking my finger back in the day. And so I went and draw the blood, put it on the the test strip and everything. And it said, 32. Soon as I saw the number and the number registered, that's when I went into panic mode. That's when I felt all like I got all sweaty, my vision got all weird. I just went into like, oh my god, I need a carb. Like I just freaked out. But can you imagine? I was perfectly fine until I saw the number on the meter.
0: That's, it's your that's, mind. Yeah, that happens mind. all the
2: time. It's an
0: awareness low. So I've had that yeah. too, where I don't feel low until I see the number.
2: Yes, exactly. Isn't that weird? Yeah. That's so crazy. I could I could have finished I could have finished on the floor and been perfectly fine, but <laughs> I got half mopped floor and then I tested myself. <laughs> the lowest I've
0: been is 26. I was in elementary school and my principal walked me to the office where my mom was. I don't remember what it felt like. I just remember that my number was 26 and I actually walked to the school office.
2: Oh my God. Man, we're, we're tough. We're tough little cookies. (laughs) I know. (laughs) My God. That's
1: crazy. Okay. So then my second question, have you found any like diets that work well for managing your blood sugars? So like for me, I'm low carb and I'm vegetarian, Colleen's keto, low carb kind of thing. Have you found something that works really well for
2: you? Yeah, I'm pretty much in the same boat as you guys are because how do I put this in a like a polite way so people don't get upset with me? I don't believe like the FDA or like the food pyramid. I think that's that's terrible. Like the food pyramid is terrible. I don't believe we are supposed to be having bread and crackers and pasta and like rice. Because like the pasta and the rice breaks down the sugar. So I like, if I go out to dinner with somebody and they order a, a bowl of pasta, I'm like, oh, a bowl of sugar. I will call them out on it and say, oh, bowl of sugar. That's That looks great. You know, and they're like, what do you mean? I'm like, that's going to break down in sugar in your body. So you're just wasting money and you're wasting, like you're just wasting. It's just not going to even fill you up. It's sugar,
1: you right. know? We, we totally agree with you on that too.
2: Yeah, and I feel like, you know, As a diabetic, like I was saying previously, it's just like, if you want to know if something's good or not, give it to a diabetic and let them eat it and test their blood sugar and let them see what the numbers are. That's going to prove it to you right there. That's, you know, like letting us be testers for people, but it's just, it's the the fact where it's just like, okay, so I went to a nutritionist one time and I will never go back to a nutritionist because it's just, I don't think they understand diabetes the way that we do. We understand our bodies and it's just a nutritionist that isn't a diabetic, they don't. So, I go in a nutritionist and she basically says, Tell me where would you like, tell me a place that you've gone to eat. And I'm like, All right, Cheesecake Factory. Like, that was something back in the day. I used to like their avocado egg rolls, right? Way back in the day. Okay, she flips out the book. You probably know what book I'm talking about. She flips it open and says, Okay, that would be, she said the number of the carbs, blah, blah, blah. And she said, That would be 12 units. And I was like, Whoa, 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 12 units? So, for me to have three of those avocado egg rolls at Cheesecake Factory, I would have to inject 12 units of insulin in me to eat that. How can that be okay? So I started questioning her on it and she's like, well, you could eat whatever you want, but you just have to. And I was like, no, I don't, you don't understand. I want to be holistic and I do not want to be reliable on this insulin. Like I want to be as far away from the insulin as possible. Like I want to be not dependent on it. So if I can only have to take a few units a day or here and there, great but I don't want to be taking 12 units just to eat three avocado egg rolls. That doesn't seem right. And then it registered to me like, that can't be healthy for your body. Because the more insulin you have to take, to me, I feel like the food's unhealthy. That's how I look at it. So it's just like when, like, so when people like, eat fast food, I'm just like, oh my God, I can only imagine what their bodies are doing. It's like the body's screaming inside. Like, don't feed me this garbage. Right. You know? Yeah. So, so what actually is your total daily dose? I don't even pay attention to that I don't even take a lot of insulin to be honest, I mean, like this morning I woke up with a uh, fifty four so I didn't take nothing <laughs> Wow, and so i yeah, I mean it was like kind of a weird morning, but I would have to say it's just like I have been eating like you know I have my eggs and then I have like eggs and spinach in the morning and stuff. I'm very like boring eater, like I have a like you know I'm just a very boring eater, I'm not a foodie, I've never been a foodie, so maybe that's why diabetes and me you know. Are kind of like a good combination because I'm not one of these people that like miss certain types of food. It's like pff, I don't care. So anyway, so then it's just like I don't eat rice. I don't eat pasta. I don't eat bread. I don't eat cereal. I don't eat processed food. I don't eat like the crackers. I don't like I don't like to eat red meat a lot. Desserts occasionally, you know, you have to have like you're human, so you you're gonna want a cookie once in a while. And then like you know, energy drinks, none, none of that either. So it's just like you sit there and you go, what do you eat? Well, I eat a lot of veggies. A lot of veggies, you know, a lot of veggies, <laughs> tuna, you know fish, so I mean, it's just very simple, clean, creative eating, but it's funny after you do it after so long, you basically like and even doing fastings, so like some days I'll do like two hours, I have a two hour window that I can eat, and then the rest of the day I fast for twenty two hours. That's pretty much kind of what I do. Yeah, I wake up at like four in the morning and
0: I don't eat until about seven thirty, then I finish mm-hmm. before noon. yeah. Done. And then I'm I'm not hungry.
2: Yeah. see, you take the power over, you control yourself. It's almost like when you're eating all, you know, the crappy foods, it's like, it's something, I don't know all the scientific to it. You probably know more than me, but it's just like something it triggers in your head. Cause when you're trying to wing off of the crappy food, it's like you almost like, it's almost like winging off of like smoking. You have that reflex of like, you become kind of like, you have mood swings and you become kind of like, Oh my God, I need it. I need it. And it's only your brain tricking you. But after you have that mindset and you're like, nope, I'm going to stay strong, I'm going to follow through with this, you take the power over and you're not even hungry half the time. It's like you eat when you want to eat, when when your body is telling you, you know? Yeah. The other day I finished
0: my food for the day and then towards the evening my stomach started rumbling and I started feeling hungry. But I was like, okay, we're dining in. I'm not going to have food. Just let it eat the fat off my body.
2: Oh, that's interesting. Dining huh. did you Did you did you just drink some extra water to kind of fill yourself up? Because I drink a yeah. lot of water. Yeah, drink up. water, drink tea, just do something
0: else. Yep, green to, tea.
2: Oh my God. ignore the, the feeling of hunger. Now, what do you guys think of real quick? This might might be so on the same topic. Have you ever heard of leaky gut? The leaky gut thing? Yeah, I've heard of it, but we don't know very much about it. I've been doing a little research on it. Well, there's this doctor, um, I'll have to find the name, but he basically says with what a lot of people's problem is that they have a leaky gut. And even with autoimmune diseases, you can pretty much fix or... He didn't really say the word cure it, but you could fix it, but I guess that's the same word as cure. But here's the thing. So with a leaky gut, it seems like there's like the line of your stomach or whatever. Basically, think of a wall, like a brick wall, and the brick wall maybe has some like holes in the wall. So then basically, I guess, is it the bacteria? It's something's going through and it's passing through the body. And that's basically what's causing the body inside to be inflamed and that's what's causing the autoimmune disease and this like this goes for people that have like asthma and then other like medical issues right so it like rashes on your bodies and stuff like that basically if you cure the leaky gut and you do the diets like you guys are on and like I'm on and you're really strict on it he said about what was it 12 weeks you can actually start seeing a difference and you have to take vitamin D as well because that helps with the leaky gut as well. Because you want to seal up the wall. And then you'll start seeing your yourself taking less and less insulin. That's really interesting. Yeah, it is. And that's why that's what got me started on everything. When I was starting to research on it, I was just kind of like, shoot, if I can like fix the leaky guts, then there could be a chance that maybe there is a cure for diabetes and you know, no one wants to say anything because of pharmaceuticals. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> no, I'm I'm the one person that be blunt about it, pharmaceutical cells. I mean, like if someone were to say, hey, fix your leaky gut, you're not going to have diabetes anymore, you're going to be cured, (laughs) guess how much would be out of business?
0: Yeah. I I mean, I think that that might be a good starting point because my endocrinologist does say that all autoimmune starts in the gut, which makes total sense.
2: He knows. Right. But
0: but after your pancreas stops making insulin, especially for as long as uh, I've had it for 24 plus years, Mm -hmm. I don't think my pancreas is ever going to recover from that. Really? You don't think so? No. I think it's that part of my pancreas is dead without a replacement. But you have so much energy. <laughs> <laughs> that's because that's, I managed my diabetes well.
2: No, no, I'm always saying for someone that's so high energy like myself, how do I have a lazy pancreas? It does not make sense. It just doesn't make sense. It's just like, come on, jumpstart yourself. You 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 can do this, you know? <laughs> I'm trying to motivate, like give myself my pancreas like motivational speeches, like, hey, you can do it. Come on. I don't think any amount of
0: positive thinking can restart my pancreas. <laughs> Just being optimistic right there is
2: probably not something I want to do. Yeah, I still want to have my head in the clouds. So whatever makes me feel better, right? (laughs) (laughs) That's actually a good segue
0: into our next question is, what does burnout mean to you? And have you experienced burnout? And if you have, what have you found helps you manage it or get out of it?
2: I have a mixture of emotions on this because I've always been a person that, you know, because what I think of like, burnout is like when you're alone and you're feeling like isolated with it. Is that kind of the same way you guys look at it, the burnout? For me, it's more, I'm tired of
0: dealing with this right now and I get mad at my pump and maybe rage bolus.
2: Okay. So with me, I would have to say I've only had one kind of like outburst and it was one time I was basically my numbers were just all over the place. And it was just like, I just went into like my cupboard and I was just in in that breaking point of just throwing everything away, like everything that had a carb in it, I just started chucking it in the garbage. And that was like a breaking point with me where I kind of already knew what was causing my crazy numbers. It was the food that I was eating. And that's kind of like my turning point back to our last question of how I basically got started where I was just like, I had that burnout moment where I was just like, You know, what the heck? Like, I'm so tired of this. And you open the pantry and you're seeing all this food, and you just know that's the reason in a way where it's causing the high blood sugars, and you're just tired of it. So you just start chucking this stuff in the garbage because you're just like, enough is enough. I'm not living this way anymore, you know? But then also, burnout to me kind of means that in a way that you kind of feel like alone because, you know, having diabetes, unless you have other people that understand the autoimmune disease, kind of like alone. Lone Ranger, Lone Wolf, just kind of like doing your own thing because people don't understand it. Like they're eating the pasta in front of you. They don't get it. You tell them it breaks down the sugar, they don't get it. It's it's like people don't understand or don't care because they don't, they're not experiencing it and they're kind of like oblivious to it. So it's just like when you are experiencing what someone else has experienced, then you can have that sympathy with them. So I mean, when I went to uh, when I when I was in the diabetes calendar. It was the first time I was in a room when we had the party, the launch party for the calendar, I was in a room full of diabetics and that was the first time I did not feel alone because everybody had a story about diabetes and everybody could talk about it and everybody could joke about it and everybody was on the same level. And it was so awesome to have that comfort for that evening, you know, because normally when you go in a room, you don't know who's a diabetic and a lot of people don't talk about it. So you kind of feel like you're all by yourself. So that's kind of the two differences I've seen about burnout.
0: That's uh, kind of why we really like
2: having diabetes camp every year because everybody there has it or knows somebody with it. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, it's not, I don't want to say it's funny because it's not funny, but it's just crazy how so many people, when you go to a vet and they see like the sensor on my arm, then they basically, the, the conversation, that's like an icebreaker, the conversation starts, then they tell you they know somebody or they have a daughter or they have a cousin or a grandmother or somebody that has diabetes. And you're just like, every time it's, Just like, wow, there's a lot of diabetes out in this world, you know? And just imagine how we could be so much more preventative on the type two side of it if we started eating correctly from the start and we didn't abuse our bodies the way we are. And I call it abuse because we kind of know things are wrong. We kind of know like going to the drive-thru is bad. We know that's bad, but we do it anyways because it's convenience. It's easy. It's comfort. You know, you don't get anything. You don't get anywhere when you're in a comfort zone. It's kind of funny you mentioned
0: that the sensor can be an icebreaker. Mm
2: -hmm. I
0: had on my whiteboard at work the phrase, I have type 1 diabetes on Mm -hmm. my whiteboard. It's been there since I started. And it took Mm -hmm. one of our senior leadership guys over a year to actually tell me that his daughter has diabetes.
2: Oh, wow. Really?
0: Yeah. But after he did, we started talking about it. And he asked me about my pump. And it turned out that his daughter was going to get on a pump. And did I like mine? And then they got the pump that I'm on. And ended up getting mm-hmm. Control IQ, which
2: is the software that controls both highs and lows. She got yeah, that yeah. before I did. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> but, it's, but it's just amazing because we, you become like an educator on it because you're already living it, you understand it. And then it's just kind of like when people break the ice and they talk to you about it, then, you can, then the conversation really starts, you know? Yeah. Do you have any advice for diabetics who are feeling burnt out? It's all in the mind. I'm all about the mindset. So I just feel like it's all in the mind. And I do a lot of journaling. I do a lot of writing. So it's just like, for me, it's just like, like in the beginning of the conversation, it's just kind of like, you can't let those numbers define you when you're having that burnout. You know, it's just like, if you don't have anybody that's going to understand, it's just, you, you got to do the inner work with yourself. And you got to, you know, in some ways find something that, like a goal or importance or something that you want to do and kind of just stay focused on that, I would have to say, because I think you just never want to go back to that victim mindset. You never want to have the burnout control you. You don't want the numbers to control you. I have to say diabetics are so strong. Like I mean, the the things that we go through every single day, you know, like it's so unpredictable. We don't know. Like I did not know I was going to wake up with that blood sugar today. But it's always so amazing like you when you wake up, you have a new spin on life because you're just sitting there going, thank you God for another day. Like you're so appreciative because it's just like, if that low goes too low in the middle of the night and what if you don't wake up, it's like game over. So it's almost in a way where it's just like, you have a new appreciation. So I appreciate life so much more. I appreciate my vision because I literally went blind with my diabetes for a little while. So, I mean, that was pretty scary. So the things that we take advantage that we, like, for example, your eyes, they're free. Your brain, your mind, your your brain, it's free. All these things that we have are free and a lot of people don't even appreciate them. So it's just like, I take care of my eyes. I take care of my mind. I take care of my body because I got this all for free. So, I mean, I'm going to take care of it. But it's funny, the things that we go by, that's the things that we care more about. It just doesn't make sense, you know?
1: Totally understandable. So you are totally invested in the diabetic community and we'll get into more of like your ambassadorship later in the, in the questioning. So what are some major changes that you've seen over time with diabetes and like in the diabetic community?
2: I would have to say that I I feel like there should be more events. I mean, I feel like diabetics should have their own walk. We have, you know, women's March. We have all these other marches. When are the diabetics going to have a March? We deserve a March, right? I mean, I just feel like there should be more community groups that are, you know, like, I don't know where they are. You know, it's just like, I just feel like diabetes is just kind of like one of those things that it just happens, you know, and people just get a, immune to it. And it's just like, all right, you have diabetes. Okay. You're on insulin. Okay. You're on the pump. Okay. It's just like, I think we should, you know, kind of raise up a little bit higher and have more, you know, more community-based projects on that. Because I feel like the more we can be advocates together as groups, the more we can help those not become diabetes. And then on the flip side of it is the technology, obviously. The technology is just advancing. I mean, look, you got pumps that are pumping an insulin in you. I mean, I heard that I think it's Apple's going to make a watch that's going to test your blood sugar soon. I was working with, um, I forgot the name of them, that was like many years ago. They were trying to create the first watch, but I think Apple actually is going to do it before they do. But it was going to be a watch that is stylish watch that looks like a designer watch that would actually do your heart rate and it would also do your blood sugar numbers. And you could just look at the watch and nobody would even know it was testing you because it looked like a designer watch.
0: I'm pretty sure that uh, right now you can see your Dexcom readings on an Apple watch. So it does integrate with, yeah, okay. So it's the sensor is reading to the watch. It's not that the watch is actually reading the blood sugars.
2: Well, the, the, the one I was working with, they were going to have a watch that basically every time you looked at it, it was reading your blood sugar numbers. Ah. So it wasn't like a needle, like with the needle and the, like the sensor in your arm, somehow it was going to have some kind of like sensor or chip or something in it where it would go through and it would test you. I don't know. It was so like, it's probably why it's not out because it's such like high level technology.
0: So knowing what you know now, what do you wish you'd done differently the first couple years of diagnosis?
2: That was a loaded question. You already know the answer. Well, what, what do you think the answer is? Don't it, run. Right? Don't run. Don't run. I mean, don't run from denial. Oh, right. Don't yeah, run yeah, from yeah. it. Denial. Yeah. You, that's a no-brainer right there. It's just like that's what eats me up sometimes. The regret of knowing what I should have should have done. Like the day I went in there and they said, "Oh, let's test you." I should have just gotten tested. They probably at that point would have seen something in the blood work. And that would have been a red flag of like, ooh, yeah, you have diabetes in your family. Oh, yeah. Hmm. And they would have said something and then I would have acted on it as the person I am and I would have prevented it. But here's the flip side of it. If I did do that, I wouldn't have a story like I do to share. So then I would have never been able to be on TV or do my podcast or have what I have now. So it's almost one of those you know, weird situations where it's just like, yes, I know what I should have done but because i didn't do it now i've become a person that can tell other people to don't do what i did and get tested so it's kind of a silver lining to it it's just kind of weird
0: i like that mindset it's like that was always the way it was going to happen so why bother trying to wish that it happened differently
2: yeah but so that's why i just tell people don't run from it just like face up to it you know woman up to it i mean whatever so you just just get the blood work done and i mean people that that I know I'll use like my traditional little um, meter, put a little little needle in there, like all everything clean. I'll test them and poke their fingers and check their blood sugar numbers for them. And it's always funny when someone's perfect, I just look at them like, I hate you, right? Like I just give them like a joking face, like I hate you, right? But then somebody like I recently tested and they're 170. And I was like, how are you 170? Like this, no, if your pancreas is working, you shouldn't be 170. So then it draws up a question where they start to panic. I'm like, well, you know, you need to go to the doctor's now, go on a doctor level now and get this all figured out, you know, and figure out your diet and figure this all out. So I kind of feel like I've done my work of like warning them now. They have to take the next step to do, you know, work with their doctor on it, you know? Oh, definitely. One time I tested my dad and we
1: tested him, he was 140. And I remember I was like, um, you're 140, you're not supposed to be 140. And he tested his blood sugar like three days in a row and he was cooking at the time, so he had, like, juice or something on his finger. So he, we figured out over
2: nothing, but it, oh. it helped him realize what I was going through every day. Oh, my God. So the juice on his finger? Oh, my God. Interesting.
1: Yeah, he was, like, making orange juice for him and my brother because they'll drink, like, juice in the morning and stuff. But I don't. I stay away from it. So when he was making I guess he got some on his hands, and he only rinsed them off. He didn't really, like, wash his hands as well as he should have testing. Mm -hmm. I was like, Hey, you want to test your blood sugar? He's like, sure, let's test it. And then it went up and I'm like, you're not supposed to be at that. And he called up his doctor. He's like, okay, let's just keep an eye on it. You have everything at home for your daughter. So why not use it too? So. Well,
2: it's funny when people, when you test people and their numbers are higher, I've found that when the numbers are higher, they'll blame something. Oh, I had a cookie at lunch or, oh, I had a sandwich or, oh, I had a soda, but you're just trying to tell them, no, 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 no. If your pancreas is working, it doesn't matter what you just had. They just don't get right. that. They no. just think like they think it's what they ate. It's like no, no. It's if it's working, it's working. If it's not, it's not. It's just black and white. There it is. You know. So right, definitely.
1: So, do you have any favorite or cherished memories with type one diabetes, like a specific event, uh, a specific day? I would
2: have to say that the, the cherished moments for me is being an advocate. I really feel like. Someone told me at a recent event that I did I did an event with what was a DYF Diabetes Youth Foundation, and we did a panel discussion at Nina Marcus in Walnut Creek, and it was one of those things where the manager there he said that you know he believes that I 'll be like Mary Tyler Moore, not because of my look, but because she was such a huge advocate. She was more an advocate of like I think it was like juvenile diabetes, but it was just like he said, we need another voice, we need a face." To the autoimmune disease because it's just, it's floating there. Who's the face? Because I knew diabetes because of Mary Tyler Moore. She was the face of diabetes for, you know, for JDRF and stuff. So I kind of feel like we need somebody to be the face again. And I kind of feel like that's like a memory that I have when people say that, you know, they can see me, you know, being an influencer or like even the title that I've gotten the Glamorous Diabetic. So I feel like, wow, I'm I'm getting there because now I have a title now. (laughs) It's like, how do you do that? Like, how do you get a title for being a diabetic? But I have to, I would just have to say the memories would have to just be meeting people, talking to them, helping them, you know, guiding them the right way, telling them my story, you know, and of course like being on TV and just surprising people. I would have to say when I was on Hawaii Now News, that was like a huge it was like a really great interview because the reporter didn't know a lot about diabetes because he was referring back to type two. So it's just like, okay, I knew where this interview was going to go. So basically I had my insulin pin. I had everything to show them because I know diabetes is a high rate in Hawaii because of the, the way their lifestyle and the food they eat out there. So I, that's why I wanted to do this show really bad. So I remember him, you know, asking all these questions about it and me, you know, expressing it. And he says, well, you don't look like a diabetic. And this is a live show. So I was just like, oh gosh. And I was like, well, no one's exempt. No one is exempt from diabetes. It doesn't matter. Like I don't look the part, but I am, you know, I am dealing with it. So it's kind of like one of those things that those the memories that I have where I can actually be that person that says, hey, I might have this glamorous look. I might be fit and this and that and eat healthy, but no one's exempt because I was doing a lot of that before I was diagnosed. So that's just... No one's exempt. So you just
0: mentioned it, that you're known as the glamorous diabetic. How did you actually get
2: that title? I wish I thought of it myself, but I can't take credit. Beyond Type 1, the community director, she actually emailed me back and said that I was the glamorous diabetic. And the reason why was because I wrote something for their website. And it was photos from my blog post from my website that basically had me doing like my come out story. like This was me announcing to the world, because before then, I didn't say anything. But- that's how I got it because of all the photos and my story in the 1950s and all this stuff. It was she just called me the glamorous diabetic and I ran with it and I told her thank you so much.
1: <laughs> so speaking on that, what does glamour and elegance
2: really mean to you? I mean, like, is it like a core value to you and everything? It's everything. Having a class in you know like a behavior, a, a manner, a style and just providing people a dose of an era gone by that so many people admire. It's just, even to this day, people still love Marilyn Monroe. They still love Rita Hayworth. They still love those old movies. And it's just like for somebody to actually walk down the street, to actually have the pin curls in, the red lips, the red nails, and wearing the style, like I'm basically, I'm modern and vintage because like a lot of the dresses I wear I find certain dresses that have, they're vintage, 100% authentic vintage, but they have a modern feel to it. But then I'm adding my brooches, my vintage handbags, vintage accessories. That's, oh my God, I love vintage accessories. And the rhinestones earrings and oh my God. But the thing about it is I'll wear modern shoes like Kate Spade or like, you know, designer shoes. I will not wear vintage shoes. There's certain things about vintage that I will do and certain things I won't because I, I want to be able to be in this era with everybody else, but bring people back to that sense of style and have it more of a uh, European chic look where I'm doing the vintage, but I still have a modern twist to it, if that makes any sense.
0: Yeah, it kind of does. I mean, so for everybody listening, Doris looks like Molly Quinn from Castle. She, she legit looks like an actress that I love on Castle. So tell us about the work you do with luxury brands and how did you start your blog, which is Rich
2: in Love Fashion? What's your mission with your blog? Well, Rich and Love Fashion started after I was laid off in corporate America. So I didn't want to look for another job. I was, I was done with that. And basically that whole story of my job hunting, I wrote a book called Confessions of a Job Whore, which is sold on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and Book Baby. And basically that was a book about a young girl just jumping around from job to job and she was trying to find happiness but then at the end of the book, you figure out what real happiness is, kind of like based on my whole life story. So basically, you can only imagine after getting laid off in corporate America, I was like, nope, I already wrote the book. I know what happens at the end. I'm not, I'm not, not doing this again. I'm not looking for jobs. Nope, I'm doing something different. So I did what everybody else does, start a blog, right? <laughs> so, and I didn't know anything. I was a novice. I, I didn't know anything about it. So, but I, you know, I did know that I could write. I did know I could model. I had style you know, and I was just like, well, what else do I have to do? Right. What, I, you know, what else is out there? If I'm not going to go look for a job right away. Like right now, like let's, let's give this a try. So I did. And they usually say after three months, if you're still doing the blog, you have a good chance at it. Six months. Oh, you're doing really good. Eight, one year. Hmm, you might just stick with it. So I've been doing it over six years now. So I mean, I've really stuck it out. And what I've done was basically, I wanted to make it like almost like, cause coming from the fashion industry, I wanted to make it like a lookbook in a way, where it was just like typical bloggers, you know, a lot of the street style bloggers, they will go in front of garage doors or they just go in some random area and it's just their daily outfit of the day. You know, what is that? Outfit of the day, OOTD or something like that, hashtag or whatever. To me, I was just like, no, no, no. I am actually going to set people back to an era gone by. So basically I would go to Oakland or I go to San Francisco, anywhere that would have historical buildings, wear the vintage outfits, if I knew the name of the woman that, was, that owned the outfit, I would put credits because some people thought these were the brand names. I was like, no, no, no. This is the name of the woman that actually wore this hat. This is the woman that actually, this is the dress that belonged to her back in the 50s. So I was paying homage to all these women of the 50s. And if I could get the names, great. If I didn't, I just of course put the designer name back then, which no one even knows. But it was the fact that I wanted the, the location, the outfit, and the story to all take you back and just be something that was just like, and it, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a long process. It's not like I'm running outside in this outfit, taking like 10 minutes of photos, writing something up like, oh, happy Monday. This is my outfit today. I'm wearing vintage. It's more of just taking people back to that era. And it's just, it takes hours and hours for the blog, fo- the, the photo shoots. It takes hours to lay things out. It's a long process. You guys know with what you guys are doing. Whenever you're doing something of excellence, it takes a long time. And I'm a perfectionist, so I needed to be perfect. Like if my bag's crooked, I won't use the photo. That's how I am. I'm just, everything has to be perfect. So I mean, and a lot of times I would tell my photographer, we got to do a reshoot. I don't like any of these photos. It's like, are you serious? Nope, we're going back out. You know? So it's just, I had to make everything perfect because instead of doing like blog posts every day, I'd started doing them every Monday because that's how much time and effort it took on the weekends to get this done. So I would only do one because I'm all about quantity over quantity. So what luxury brands do you work with and what do you do for them? Gosh, I've worked with a lot of designers and these are like startup designers, but I've worked with the startup designers. And what I did was I started doing my own PR and marketing for myself. So it started with me first. So I got the connections by promoting my website and my blog. So then, when I was able to get into like full page in San Francisco Chronicle, you know, full page and voted best of the East Bay for Diablo Magazine, goes on and on and on. So then, basically, it was easier because now I was making these connections with these publishers and editors and stuff. And then, of course, I was still like writing and modeling for these other, you know, magazines. So I was collecting, you know, additional names of designers and stuff. So then I took it up a different level where one of the makeup artists I was working with, she basically, I was doing her PR and stuff and Vogue contacted her. That's what opened it up for me because I was able to, this was UK, not American Vogue. So it was UK Vogue. So I was I had the contact information for UK. So then I was able to get her into that magazine, which turned into, okay, well, I have the contact information. Let's go for Glamour. Let's try to find the contact information for GQ. Let's you know keep moving it along. So I've gotten a lot of startup brands into those publications in the UK Because if anybody knows that if you're a startup brand, it's great to do local. It's so great. Like, go ahead, do all your local newspapers, magazines, go ahead, build up your archive of stuff, you know, get it going. But for anybody that's a startup, you have to have a trusted source on there. And everybody knows Vogue. Everybody knows Glamour. These are trusted sources. So if I see on a startup brand's website as seen in Glamour magazine, as seen in Vogue, I'm going to trust you way more because you're in something I've been reading my whole entire life, if that makes any sense.
0: Yeah, it's brand awareness. And yep, exactly. Yep. A lot of blogs have as featured in Fox News oh, yeah. or CNN and all of that. Oh, like I he- have that
2: all over my website. I know. I did see that. <laughs> yeah.
0: So does it does make you a lot more trusted when you have those press badges, basically?
2: Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. So, I mean, that's just kind of like where it all started for me, step by step. And I just feel like then basically the diabetes came two years after starting all this. So it's just like that was kind of like, it could have been a wrench in the system or it could have been something that just basically pushed me forward. And that's what basically got me further along. Isn't that so crazy? Diabetes is actually what pushed me like 10 times further than I think I would have ever gotten. You know what I'm saying? Because most blogs don't get where they are. Like there's only a selected few that get to like the highest status. And then everybody else is just kind of like on the bottom of the barrel, just trying to like, just stay afloat but I feel like my diabetes was giving me a push. I wouldn't say I'm on the top. I wouldn't say I'm on the bottom. I say I'm like, kind of like coasting in the middle right now, but I think eventually I will have that big break and I will be on the top of the top bloggers someday. So we'll see. I really hope you do. That would be amazing to see. I want, I want to be on a billboard. That's my, like I put it, I manifested that. Like I want to be on a billboard because I manifested being in a counter. It happened. Crazy enough, that story's crazy, but a billboard. I don't know what I'm, what I'm going to do on a billboard. But you've got to think big like this. You, you've got to write it down in your, your journal. You've got to manifest it. You've got to put my goals in 2020. I mean, even if you do it for three years in a row, you just keep on saying, I'm going to be on a billboard. I am on a billboard, right? And you keep on saying, because the word I am is so powerful. You keep on saying that and believing it and visualizing it. It's going to happen. Maybe I'll be on a billboard on a uh, bus. I don't know. But it's going to be a billboard. We'll see.
1: <laughs> I can totally see it for you in your life. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, see well, you. first. So how does your luxury brands and your blog and all the stuff that you're doing with your life interact with your
2: diabetic advocacy programs? And how did you start on that path? Basically, so the whole blog story. So then I said two years, the wrench was in the system, but I didn't take it as a wrench. I basically took it as, like I said, every setbacks to set up for the glamour in life. So what happened there was I had a business mentor and I always Highly recommend everybody to have a mentor. And if anybody wants to know what a mentor is, a mentor is someone that's done it before you. So they already have done what you want to do. So I was writing for this online fashion site, Posh on Pennies or Pennies on Posh. It was something clever like that on the title. And we were talking, and she just, she actually was doing everything that I wanted to do on a business standpoint. And this was early on, right before, like very close, right before I was diagnosed. So she was kind of through that diagnosis with me. And so basically after I was diagnosed, it was one of those things where it was just like, she kept on, oh my gosh, she kept on like harping on me. You have to share your story. You have to share your story. I'm like, what story? She's like, the story of you and your diagnosis as a diabetic. And I was like, nope, not going to say a word. She's like, why? What is your reason why you won't tell anybody or tell the world? I'm like, well, one, it's the world. And number two, it's the fact that I'm doing this glamour thing. I don't want people to look at me and go, "Oh, she's a diabetic. I feel sorry for her." I want to have that strength of the 1950s of the women, you know, because they were so strong. They they did it all, you know, and they looked so glamorous doing it, right? Even housewives look glamorous back then. So I was like, "I don't want people to look at me and think like I'm defective or, or something. Like I don't want that vision of me." She said, "No one's ever going to think that. They're going to look at you and they're going to see you as human." And I was like, "All right, she does have a kind of a good point there." And I was like, well, let me think about it. I did a lot of thinking about it. And finally I said, okay, I'll trust you because you haven't been wrong on anything else you've told me. So I'll give, you, I'll give it a try. What do I have to lose, right? Maybe it'll just blow over and everybody will forget about it the next day. So I went out to this old camboose train, like all beaten, battered up and everything. And I wore this beautiful blue sapphire blue dress with lace over it and fur trim. I wore pearls and my gloves, the whole thing. And I basically went out and I did the whole photo shoot on it. And the point of that blog post was my, like on this track that I've been on, like this, just like this camboose train, it's battered and bruised. Yes. I might have some ups and downs here, but look at me. I'm glamorous and I'm still riding on this track. So I wanted people to know that no matter how, you know, crazy the track of your life is and how much you, you know, fall and get beat up and day each day is like kind of crazy for you there is some glamor to it and you can always keep your head up and have that mindset. So that's kind of like what I came out with. And it was just one of those things where after I posted it, I just said a prayer like, okay, help I didn't make a big mistake here. And because you can't go back, you can't say, oh, just joking everybody. I'm not, you know, but it was just like, no, I, I, when I pushed the button to publish it, it was like, oh my God. And it was the best thing I ever did because people started coming out telling me like, Oh my God, my daughter is, Oh my God, I am, you know, and all this stuff. And I was just like, Oh my God. And these are people that I was doing profile articles for past, you know, magazine articles and stuff that were emailing me or commenting on my posts. And I was just like, Oh my God, did I just start a movement or something? Like what's going on here? Right. And people were tweeting and stuff like that. And people were applauding me for it. And I was just like, mentors are always right. You know? So it was just like, all right. And then that's when I said, okay, if this went really well, huh how can I get on TV? How can I get on to covers of magazines? How can I push this to a level where I can really get it out to a mass like public of people, letting them know my story? Because there's something here. And that's when the light bulb went off. There is something here that I, I have and I need to like show it to everybody and tell it to everybody.
0: We will definitely link that blog post in our show notes. Okay. In- how did you get involved in getting on news channels to talk about type one? Like, how did that even happen?
2: Well, I did it all myself. I mean, I'm not one of those shows ever knocked on my door, I'll tell you that. So basically, it's doing a lot of research, finding the TV producers and basically emailing them and being relentless. Not like when they say no, it's kind of hard to say no to a diabetic, but trust me, I've had a lot of producers say no to me. So it's just kind of like, hmm. But then you basically, when you're prospecting to, TV producers. It all has to be visual because they're all visual people. So when you're prospecting different types of media, it's a different type prospect letter. So what I had to do is do all the research and figuring out how to pitch to a TV producer. You just can't tell them, like the pitch that I would give to you is going to be completely different to a pitch to a TV producer because they want to read the letter and be able to visualize the whole entire segment, the four minutes that they're going to give you and visualize it and say, "That, that would work. Or my viewers would love to see that. And I had practice doing that for other clients that I've gotten on TV. So by doing that practice, I was like, it's my turn to try it on me and my story. And the, I think what helped me was my look, because the, the, I don't look like a diabetic, according to society. And because everybody has like the type two in their mindset. And then having the title glamorous diabetic, it's intriguing. I think it's intriguing enough that people read my letters, see what I'm going to do visually on the show. And they go, okay, let's do it. This is something that we haven't done because it's, it's different. It's a total different spin off of it, you know, and mindset. Definitely. So who
1: are your inspirations in both business and in fashion?
2: Well, my, like I was saying earlier, my inspirations would be mentors, anybody that's done it before me. So that's, I mean, a lot of people don't have the same business mentor that I've found. It's like, you have it, you have them for like maybe six months, a year, a couple of years, but they're coming and going as your journey of life is progressing. So I mean the one that told me to come out with my diabetes, she's no longer in my life like that chapter has been done like I don't need her services or her help because I found a different mentor that's helping me on this chapter. And you have to kind of think about it how I look at life is your your goal is to get to the penthouse on the top of the skyscraper, right in this building. So each each floor you're going to have different lessons, blessings, things that are going to happen to you. You're going to have different people you're going to you know, learn from this and that and mentors on each level. And I feel like every time you're done with that, that level of your life, you level up. So basically you have to get into the elevator and you can only fit so many people in that elevator to go up to the next level with you. Because not everybody's meant to come with you throughout your whole life journey, only a selected few, like your confidants. So then basically you get in the elevator and whoever's with you, they go to the next level and you're doing that whole level again. And you keep on going and going. And that's the thing where it's like when you're growing and you're on a spiritual growth for yourself, you're going to lose people because they're not going to be on that same path. They're not going to understand you the way they did in the beginning because you've grown so much and they haven't. They haven't been able to go on their spiritual growth. You see what I'm saying? So that's kind of like how I look at that on that whole thing. So who inspires your,
0: your look? Do you have any specific person in mind when you get ready in the morning?
2: Well, I could be sweet and say my grandmother, but, (laughs) but I'm actually going to go with my grandmother's name's Doris too. She's my namesake, but um, she was the one that always had red lipstick on. So I will say that she always had red lipstick on and it was just like, that's how I remember her. And I actually have a tube of her Revlon red lipstick still. So I hold on to that dear to my heart. And there's actually a photo of her on my Instagram that if anybody ever wants to see her, that she's on my Instagram feed. But Christian Dior, 1947, the new look. That's the vision I see women. I like when he created that whole line, the clench ways with the corset, like it's almost like a corset, because I could do corsetting myself. And so it's like you see that clench waist, the big A-line skirt, the hats, the gloves. Oh my God. And that's why I just like every day it's like I feel every day is a runway. You dress up. Even when you go to the grocery store, you dress up. It's just, it's your runway. You know, because because it makes you feel really good about yourself too. My hair is my everything. I will have to say, it's like, it's like it's like an armor. It's like a helmet in a way, where it's just kind of like when you have your like, it's like when I have like my rhinestones on and my hair and like my 1950s outfit and my heels on. It's just like, don't mess with me. I, I could do anything. Like, hear me roar, right? It's just kind of like cliche like that, but it's just like, I have strength, and it's just like you're standing behind it. And some people will will argue saying like oh beauty is inner it's inner and outer but it's like whatever you define it to be i define it both ways but i feel even better when i'm glamorous because i feel like it's just it's an example you know i don't know it's just i think differently as you know
0: kind of along about that line what does it mean to be a diabetes ambassador and how do you become an a diabetes ambassador
2: you just basically like you just do it i mean it was just like Life's full of decisions. And I firmly believe in the compound effect. So the you probably know what the compound effect is. What you're doing over time is going to compound an effect. So I kind of feel like when we're being comfortable and we're living in a box lifestyle, there's nothing that, no greatness comes from being comfortable. And it's kind of like you have to break yourself out of that box lifestyle and you have to kind of have a voice. And I kind of feel like for anybody that have a voice, I have a voice and I have an opinion. And sometimes I have to think before I talk because sometimes all this, it's, I call it word vomit where you just say it and you're like, Ooh, that wasn't good. But it's like, you're so passionate about what you're doing. And I feel like because I'm passionate, you know, I'm dealing with diabetes. So I understand what it's all about. I feel like, and because of my look and stuff, that's not egotistic, but I'm just saying, because I look different and I have the diabetes, it's kind of like, it's almost puts me as a great candidate to be an ambassador an influencer because I, my goal, one of my many goals besides curing diabetes and being on a billboard is to basically be that inspiration for someone that maybe was recently diagnosed, or maybe they are a young girl that basically they just don't understand the autoimmune disease. And maybe their friends don't understand it, or maybe they're, you know, it's just like they're, they're they're very foreign to it. I just want them to be able to see somebody at my level that has started from ground zero and has worked very hard to go up, 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 up and making my way to the penthouse, right? So it's kind of like that, never let anything define you. You define yourself, you define your limits. And I've really found myself with diabetes. It's just like you, if you have the mindset of being relentless and almost being fearless, where you know that, you know, if you believe in God, great. If you believe in the universe, great. But whatever you believe in, someone's got your back and one of those people, if it's God, great. But no matter what, at the end of the day, you got your own back. You got to take care of yourself. You are your own best friend. It's your self-love. And I just kind of feel like being that diabetes advocate and ambassador, I don't know. I just kind of feel like what I always tell people is just like follow through my voice and you'll get the inspiration that you need.
1: What advice can you give to young women, especially young women with type one diabetes who want to become more elegant and classy, especially in this day and age?
2: Well, everybody's into trends. It's all like trendy stuff, but sometimes some of those trends can lead you down a dark, slippery road, right? So like, for example, certain coffee you know, vendors or whatever. I've kind of realized over time, it's like you're just drinking milk, really. <laughs> in those like, mochas and lattes, you're just drinking like, a lot of milk in there, which I don't even have in my diet because it's not good for you, in my opinion. But it's one of those things where that's trendy. So if your friends are drinking it, you're going to drink it. If your friends are shopping at X, Y, and Z, like, whatever store, you're going to do it. People need to stop being little sheep. They need to stand out of the crowd and be the black sheep. And they need to be authentic. And what I always say is, what is the word masses? You take the M off of it, as is. That's how I look at it. So do not follow the masses. Do not follow everybody else. Because we are all individually put on this earth for our own purpose. You got to find your life purpose. I didn't find my purpose until diabetes. I was floating around knowing that there was something more to life than what I was living. I knew I wanted to be different. I knew I wanted to be unique. I knew I didn't want to look like everybody else. I knew all that. I couldn't put the pieces together, you know, from watching all the 1950s movies with like my grandparents and being, you know, hearing all like the vintage stories and looking at the black and white photos and being, um, you know, admiring like Rita Hayworth, watching her on TV and wanting to be like that. You don't put that all together, but it follows you through life. And that's why I always tell people, take all like the pieces of your puzzle of your life, put it together. And I bet you're going to find your life purpose in that. And I bet it's not going to come from the masses. It's not going to come from Trent being trendy. It's going to come from you being you. So you got to step out of that and not be scared to lose people because you're going to lose people in your life. Spoiler alert, you're going to lose them because when you go on a spiritual growth and you are growing and you are being authentic to who you are, having that self-love, having that opinion, being 100% authentic, you're going to lose people because they're not going to understand because they're not at that level. And that's okay. And if I could say anything, it's okay to lose people. It hurts. Trust me. It hurts. And the people you do lose, you don't understand. But I always say it this way. Perfect analogy, a dog on a porch. Somebody that doesn't want to change is a dog on a porch because let's say you want to go to the park, but the dog doesn't want to go. So it's kind of like, okay, I'm going to be at the park doing my thing, being authentic, doing my thing. If you want to come on this journey, you can come with me. I'll be at the park. But some people are that dog on the porch where you can't get them off. They are so stuck on that porch. They will never leave. And it's okay. You have to leave them on that porch and just go to the park. That's the only way I can, like the best analogy I can say to it.
0: It's a really interesting analogy that I've never heard before, but it really makes sense because not everybody
2: will join you for the rest of oh, their no. life. No. And it's, and I've found when you, no, this is crazy on a spiritual level. You Okay. So on the dog and a porch analogy. So if you try to basically put like the collar and the leash on it and try to drag them off the porch, <laughs> It's only going to cause you more heartache, high blood sugars because you're stressed out. And it's, it's not good for you. It's not good vibration because you cannot infringe on someone else's journey. That is where we all get it wrong. We think we can help people because we're, we're all breeded to be nurturing people like, oh, let me help you. Let me hold your hand and take care of you. No, no, no. We got to stop doing that. We can only help people that want to be helped. So if somebody wants to come off the porch and go with you to the park, you can help them. You can coach them. You can mentor them. You can do whatever. But if they're so stuck on being on that porch, there's nothing you can do and if you try to mold and tell them what to do, you're infringing on their spiritual growth and their spiritual path and that's a no-no. Like you don't do that. You like, just let them
0: You let them be. Like everything about that resonates with me because you really? are, yeah, you you are on your own path. You can't expect anybody else to be doing it with you unless they want to because you can't change other
2: people. You can only change yourself. And that's a hard lesson for any of us to learn because I was in that mindset where it's like, you know, like I could do anything, and I could change people, and I can help them for the better. You know, it's 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 like you're not like Tony Robbins or whatever. You're it's like like he goes on stage or on any any of those motivational goobers, They go on stage, they don't expect to go out there, hold people's hands, and change them because they kind of know what what it happens. People go back, they revert back to their comfort zones. They they try it for a couple of days and they revert back. So it's just like he knows that like you know the people that are serious if they're either like dropping money into like your campaigns or if they're really you see them listening to what you're doing because like a lot of those motivational gurus, they will tell you, do what I say. And if you don't do what I say, then we're done. Because they know the value of their time and they know what they can do. Does that make sense? Oh yeah. 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 So it's just like the buy-in. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so for me it's just like I I don't know. I just always thought of the dog on the porch thing. And that's, that's the only way that ever gets me to understand that, you know, if someone doesn't want to change, that they will sit on the porch and and it's sad. It makes me sad when I think about it. It really does because it's like, you don't want anybody to sit on the porch by themselves. You want, you want everybody to come to the park with you. But if it's, if it's not in their cards, it's not in their thing, then it's not going to happen. You can't do nothing about it. Just keep on going on your path. Keep moving the ball forward. Does any of that tie into what
0: entrepreneurship means to
2: you? Actually, you know, it's so funny you asked that because I was thinking about writing a book about it. I started to, and I never, I didn't, I got halfway to it. So I don't know if I'm ever, it's going to be one of those like lost projects. I don't know. But in that book, I started writing about that same thing in the beginning of it. The first chapter was about, you know, who is an entrepreneur? So then I wrote in there, I believe the only way I can answer that is he or she is a creative person in their trait or profession. An authentic entrepreneur, a method of marketing I firmly practice, creates their own lives on their own rules and thrive on transforming ideas into things. People often mistakenly believe that entrepreneurs are driven by money, which is not usually true, however, it's necessary. An entrepreneur is driven by improvement. Invention and always wanting to do something better. They are known or called relentless, only satisfied with the end result that has become their addiction to the game. And that's how I look at it. I have a good relationship with money. I think money is energy. I believe when you have good relationships and good energy with certain things in your life, that's why you're so successful. If you've ever seen somebody that has a bad relationship with money and they think it's evil, well, then that's, that's a bad relationship that the vibration is completely low and they're always broke. So it's so it's something that you have to have good relationships and good vibrations with certain things. Does that make sense? Oh yeah. So like, like for me, it's just like with entrepreneur, to me, it's a game. Just like how diabetes is a number game. Everything in life is a game. And it's either life is playing you or you're playing life. And as soon as you know how to play the game of life, it opens up for you. And that's why I did not want to get played by diabetes. I was like, all right, I got dealt this hand, but I'm going to play it a different way. I'm going to play it the non-victim way. And I'm going to set myself up for something glamorous, which I have. Because imagine if I did it dealt, if I kept the hand, like a, a hand of like victim, like victimhood or whatever, it would have been like, I wouldn't be here talking to you. I wouldn't be on TV. I wouldn't be known as the glamorous diabetic. I wouldn't have done and inspired a number of people if I played the victim card. I would have been like, oh, sad, oh, little me, feel sorry for me. Mm-mm, no, it's more of like, I don't want people doing that. So I want this to have people see me thriving and pushing, pushing, pushing. So then people go, oh my God, if she can do it, there's no reason I can't do it.
0: Have you ever heard of um, be, do, have?
2: Oh my God, that was one of my blog posts and one of my, uh, yep, yep. I wrote all about that. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. my God, you and me. Oh my God, we are on the same level. I love it. Yeah, because that oh, that
0: is so powerful. So for our listeners, be, do, have is the idea that you first need to be the person who could have what you want, and then you need to do the things that would get you what you want, and then you have the things that you want. You can't flip that around and first say, I'm going to have the body so that I can feel healthy or any of that. So you need to flip it. You need to be, and then you need to do, and then you need to have. You can't have, then do, then be.
2: Well, perfect, perfect what you said there, because... I wanted to be a diabetes advocate. I, want, I mo- wanted to model myself off of Mary Tyler Moore. So I had to envision myself being, not being her as her person, but being in that role. And then eventually you start having it. So when I was sitting thinking like, you know what? You know, I was basically saying, I am the next Mary Tyler Moore. So if I'm gonna be the next Mary Tyler Moore, I gotta look the part, I gotta speak the part, I gotta be the part. And this is who I, this is who I'm gonna be. I'm gonna walk in the room, And people are going to be reminded when they hear diabetes. Hopefully, they put the two together and they think of Mary Tyler Moore or some you know vintage person of some sort. But they're going to put the two together, and I'm going to have that. And guess what? Doing TV and doing stuff that she was doing.
1: So as an entrepreneur, how do you balance your personal life and your entrepreneurial life, and how does diabetes
2: play a role into that? I would have to say with that, I have a friend that basically would love me to turn off. Once in a while from work. And he's always basically telling me, you know, let's go out to dinner, let's go out to do this. And to me, I have found that as a great escape because I have an on button that doesn't like to turn off. So I'm always on the go. I'm always work, 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 work. And so he's, over the years, he's taught me, let's go out to dinner, no work talk, nothing about anything. We're just, we're just going to BS it together. We're going to have a nice glass of wine nice dinner. And we're just going to be in each other's company. And to me, I have found that to be like a treat to me. Like that is my treat. Cause you know, I don't watch TV. I don't have a TV spoiler alert. I don't have one. I don't, don't have time for it because it's like, if I want to do something, I'll, I'll read a book instead of watch TV. My days are so full of so many projects and things that I'm doing. I don't have time to like chill and Netflix. Like I just don't have time to do that. So basically what I like to do is create memories. So instead of watching TV, I'll go out with my friend and we'll go out to dinner and we'll create a memory that night. But that's been an awesome opportunity for me to learn to turn off. Because sometimes when we get into that mode of being like a workaholic in a way, we're always work, 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 because we're addicted to that end result as an entrepreneur. But then sometimes it's, I'm learning that it's okay to switch off, have a glass of wine, kick back with some good company, and just talk. So, I mean, that has been a great teacher to me in some ways. And then with diabetes, it's great too because, you know, when I'm out, you know, having dinner or doing something like an event or something, it's like I have my sensor on my arm, and it's really great because people will come up and they'll ask, "What's on your arm?" And then I get to pull up my iPhone because I have the app on my iPhone, and I can swipe my arm and show them my blood sugar and let them understand what it's all about. And I become that advocate on the street you know and bringing awareness to people that don't even understand it you know and then they look at me again they're just like you're a diabetic it's like yes no one's exempt i got a dollar every time i said that <laughs> so you wrote a cookbook for
0: type 1 diabetics tell us about that and where people can get a copy
2: um you can go to my website obviously richinlovefashion.com on the bottom you just put your email in there and then i get a prompt and then i'll send it to you as a pdf it's a it's a free ebook obviously e cookbook obviously but what i wanted to do is because in all honesty, I never had a really great relationship with food because I was never a foodie. I was never a cook. Until becoming a diabetic, you learn about how the food breaks down. You learn what's good and what's not good for yourself. So I decided, I'm you know, on one of my entrepreneur you know, you know, things I was doing. I said, you know what? I think you know, that'd be a great way because if I am doing all these TV shows and stuff, I want to give something away instead of just giving some five tips on TV. I want to give something that's a takeaway that people can hold onto if one of my tips when I go on a TV show is you know cut your carbs by 80% or something like that. It's like, well, someone might go, okay, well, how do I do that? What foods do I eat? They they start having all these questions. So I wanted to have the answer for that. So now it's just like, okay, here's some great recipes in this book. And they're low carb, they're fun, knock your socks off. And you'll see in there there's not much cheese at all. Like you could see like I tried not to keep it so close to what I'm doing because I think people would be like, oh my God, I can't do this. I tried to make it like a medium platform where it was just like people could do some of these recipes and still be satisfied, you know, but they were still low carb, probably lower than what they were already doing. That makes sense. So what advice do you have for the young diabetics out there? For young diabetics out there, just be authentic, be you, you know, don't follow the trends. If people don't understand what you're going through, just know that, You're awesome. I mean, diabetics, we are just all awesome. You know, and I just have to say we are hustlers because people don't understand what we go through. They don't understand the mood swings. They don't understand the highs and lows. They don't understand, like with me, when I get a low, I start sweating and I'm just like, oh my God, you know? So it's just like they don't understand that. But it's okay. It's okay that people don't understand you. Like I said earlier, go to the park. And then what projects are you working on right now that you're really excited about? Right now, I have the great honor, and this has come through, you know, with Napa Valley Life magazine, producing my very first fashion show at Charles Krug Winery in St. Helena, which is in Napa Valley. It was supposed to happen on May 2nd, but obviously the coronavirus decided no, it's not going to happen. So we're postponing it to June. But I like, again, every setback is set up for the glamour in life. I think that has set us up to having a different type of show. So it's I don't know. I kind of feel like it's, it's a blessing in disguise on that. And then a few editorials I'm working on, some film noir, photo shoots, fun stuff like that. Of course, always my blog, Tosa Dorus. you know, the norm.
0: And then final question,
2: where can people find you online? Of course, my website, richandlovefashion.com. Instagram, of course, Rich and Love Fashion, again. And then Facebook, I have two accounts, but mainly everybody could just find me on the Doris Hobbs page because I actually have the Rich and Love Fashion page, but just go on Doris Hobbs. And then of course, on any of those platforms, you can actually listen to my episodes at Dose of Doris or go to the YouTube page. That's Doris Hobbs again. Thank
0: you so much for coming on. It's been an honor
2: talking to you. Yeah, Aww. you're incredible. You guys are sweethearts. I love both of you. My gosh, this conversation was amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right, and our question this week is,
1: for you, our lovely audience, how do you create glamour and elegance in your life, diabetes-related or otherwise? For myself, I always try and dress up when I go to work, meaning instead of wearing my usual cowboy boots and jeans, I sometimes wear sneakers and a nicer shirt than I usually would. And for me, I like to wear
0: business clothing even if I'm working from home. It just helps me get into that work mindset. And then sometimes when I go into the office, I'll wear a dress. And that always kind of surprises people, which I find funny. That is it for this episode of This Is Type One. Thank you so much to Doris Hobbs for coming on as a guest to the show. You can find Doris on Instagram at richinlovefashion. And you can also find her on Facebook at Doris Hobbs. That's her Facebook page. And her website is richinlovefashion.com. She also has a YouTube channel called Dose of Doris. You can find the show notes at inspiredforward.com slash episode 40. It's the number 40. And if you have an idea for an upcoming episode, please leave us a comment or send an email. You can get straight to our podcast page by going to thisistype1.com. Our music is by Joseph McDade, and our audio wizard is my husband, Tim. This is the perfect time to learn how to manage your mind. If you're stressed, burned out, overwhelmed, and want some help getting back on track and honoring your commitments to yourself, sign up for accountability coaching at inspiredforward.com slash coaching. I'm on all social media as at inspiredforward, and our email is Colleen at inspiredforward.com. All right,
1: and I'm on Instagram as at JJ underscore crystal kat. Please feel free to send any questions or comments you have about the show or about type 1 diabetes.
0: Thank you so much for listening. If you like this episode, please share it with your friends, your family. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, since that really helps other people find us. And subscribe wherever you listen. Be sure to listen in next week when we talk about diabetes in animals. Remember, You control your diabetes. It doesn't control you. Hey, if you like what you're listening to on this podcast, you have to join us in the Half Dead Pancreas Club. It's my private community where you'll connect face-to-face with other people with type 1 diabetes, get personalized emotional support, and learn how to handle anything T1D throws at you. Join us over at inspiredforward.com slash community. I can't wait to see you there.